to Bernier in the middle. Bernier sees Felipe open. Felipe runs. Felipe says the vial. The vial is open. The vial shoots. Oh, right, wide, it's up. The woodworks. edition of Off The Woodworks Live. I have Jonathan Tanamo with me in person. Hello, Jonathan. Hi there, how are you? I'm great. I have Rafael Larraxay too. Hello, Rafael. Mini Sebrango. Hi. Sam Bupi. Hi. Welcome to a live edition. First of all, Jonathan, what do you what do you uh, preview for tomorrow? What do you think is going to happen, first of all? Will we see Andrew Wenger score against Montreal? Will we see? Oh, boy. Uh, I, I wouldn't put it past him. I'd like to ask from you guys, since we have a live studio audience tonight, who is more likely to score first tomorrow, Jack McInerney or Andrew Wenger? Pierre. Jack McInerney. Jack McInerney. I'd go with Jack McInerney. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll make it four. I think McInerney is more likely to score first. And I guess that assumes that he's going to start tomorrow, doesn't it? I have a feeling that uh, Jack Mack will start with Andrew Wenger this week having a little hamstring trouble last game. Barely practiced all week. And you know what? It would be good for Montreal to have a little different, you know? It's like a good goalie in hockey. When you have a good goalie, sometimes your defender uh, lay off and like he's going to stop it. Same thing for Montreal. When you have a good striker, like eh, the pass, even if the pass is not perfect, he's going to do the difference. He's going to score. With the Jackman, we didn't see that. Service needs to be on point. And then he will finish it. And I believe Philippe is going to have a great game. If you put Jack Mack on top first, Philippe should have an even better game. I think people are intimidated by Devayo still. I'm sure. I mean, look, Devayo, there's only two other players in all of Major League Soccer who are as good as what Marco Devayo does, as Marco Devayo. And that's Robbie Keane and Jermaine Defoe. And that's it. True. Even Thierry Henry is not as efficient. And he's not the same kind of forward. He's much more creative. He's not as direct. He's not as powerful, he's more skilled. And I know that a lot of people expected Andrew Wenger to be the second coming of Marco DeVaio because he was the number one draft pick and he played a forward. And he was never going to be that. There's not very many players in Major League Soccer who's going to be that. And that includes, by the way, Jack McInerney. Jack McInerney does not play well as the point man in a 4-2-3-1. He's not very good with his back to goal. He doesn't hold the ball up well. And he's got a bit of an ego for being only 21 years old. When he comes out and says in the Philly media, as he did before the trade, oh, I want to play in a 4-4-2, I think I'm better that way. Oh, I want to play, you know, I want to get some better service if I could. Well, everybody wanted that, obviously. Everybody in Major League Soccer wants that. Oh, and I'd love it if I could have a true number 10 behind me and play in a 4-4-2. And what? That's not his decision to make, especially when he's only 21 years old. Um, I hope for his sake and for the U.S. national team's sake that he grows up some while he's in Montreal because this is a place that's going to force him to do it. It's a culture change. He's been in the same place his entire professional career. So that he changes that, and he's got to come to a place where he probably, I'm pretty sure he doesn't speak very much French. <laughs> it's a completely different soccer culture and all these different things. He's got to grow up now, and he, he's under a microscope, I think, to see if he's going to do it. Uh, quickly, you remember two weeks ago there was a big trade, Jack Mack for Andrew Wenger. Andrew Wenger scored on his debut a minute after Jack Mack scored. First of all, who writes this stuff? Second of all, 
How was Andrew Redner's last second game, actually, last weekend? Looked like a lot of the previous ones he played, where he got good looks, and he, and he couldn't convert on some of them. Some of it was bad luck. Some of it was bad timing. But I'll tell you this. He's very good at holding the ball up for other players. He was playing a little more on the right instead of in the middle in, the, in a 4-3-3 last week than he was in a, in, as the point man in a 4-2-3-1. He had a play where he and Connor Casey were on a bit of a breakaway. He lays the ball off to Casey, who's wide open, and he skies it over the crossbar. That's not Andrew Wenger's fault. He did everything right. So then the next time he comes down, he shoots and it's saved. And the next time he shoots and it's saved, and there was the guy who maybe he could have passed it to. Well, if he passes the ball, the other guy doesn't score, so he decides to be a little selfish because he needs to be more selfish. And he does that, and the shot is saved when he should have passed the ball, and then what? Well, that pretty much sums Andrew Wenger's career. He always seemed like a player who thought too much, was always thinking about his next move maybe too early, and it impedes himself, and it's uh, maybe giving him too much to think about while he plays. What do you and that's why he had to get out of Montreal, because he had too much to think about. Uh, I yeah, really believe that. Yeah, but probably was intimidated still by players like DeVaio and people like Felipe has a, a lot of ego, like you said earlier, with Jack Mack. And in Montreal, we have a lot of players like that. Do you think that Andrew Wenger will flourish in Philadelphia? I think if there's anywhere in Major League Soccer that he can flourish, especially in the Eastern Conference, it's Philadelphia. He's home. He's from the Philadelphia area. John Hackworth is a coach that believes in him, and it's going to make sure that he has the confidence, which a striker needs, to go out and be the number one guy in score. The only other place in Major League Soccer where I think he'd be as successful is Real Salt Lake because their coaching staff is so good at developing young players who are under the radar and, and getting those little, you know, that half step where he's off or that half second, fixing that, so all of a sudden it unleashes his full potential. I think that if it's going to happen anywhere, it can happen in Philadelphia. Well, hopefully you're right. All right, let's talk a little bit about Montreal. And with you having an outside point of view, and we all know you follow Montreal a little, how would you explain Montreal's uh, lackluster result this season? Who's going to be their starting defense tomorrow? Uh, so far, we don't know. There's a lot of talk about we met still. Uh, Miller, probably, and Miller and Pete, we can put him in concrete, so I would say probably figure Pierre is, is pulling rabbits out of hats and flipping coins and magic wands. And Has there been any week this season when you've gone into a game being certain of who your number one central defensive pairing is well, in terms of the players available to play? There's your problem, in a nutshell. Frank Klopas is a defense-first coach, and that has won him a lot of games in his career in Major League Soccer. But if he doesn't have two central defenders who he can trust, they're not going to win. And I dare say they're not going to win under any coach, not just under Frank Klopas. Absolutely. Am I mistaken or Ferrari might be the problem with the Montreal defense right now? I don't think Ferrari is the problem. I think everybody else is the problem. <laughs> because you've got to establish a partnership. Whether it's Rivas, Wimets, Lefebvre, whoever. It's somebody who's got to be there week in and week out. Now, I would say this. Major League Soccer is a league where young players can flourish if you give them the time and space to develop. As much as I like Rivas, it might be time to put him to the side a little bit and say to Carl Wimets, you're the number one. Go out there and fulfill your potential. Because if he does that, it'll help Ferrari, 
It'll help Klopas, and it might just help Benito Floro down the line, too. Absolutely. That's one thing we always forget. Uh, Calumet might be one of the future defenders for Canada's national team, and everybody knows we need good players for that team. Uh, basically, they called me again last week, and I had to decline again because I was busy working. But enough foolery. Uh, what would you say is the one thing that would help instead of Limet? Uh, do you think Camara should be in the defense? Maybe put him back on the side? Or maybe Brodsky should play? Or I'm sure Antoine Hopeno would love it if Hassan Kamara was back out there again like he was last year when he headbutted him and got suspended. Uh, look, I think the number one thing that would help in this game is for the impact to score a goal early. Whoever scores it, Felipe Devayo, Romero, I don't care. The Union are under just as much pressure to win right now because they've only got one win this season and they've blown so many results. They had no business not beating the impact of PPL Park. None. Up a man, in the rain, 10 minutes to go. They lose track of Marco DeVaio once in the whole game and he scores. And that was a lesson to them and they knew it. And they drop points against Real Salt Lake. They had a scoreless tie against Houston last weekend. They're under a lot of pressure to get a win in this game, and they've never done well at Stadsapur. I think the impact they're going to win tomorrow, as much because of the union's own problems, as because of whatever the impact they're going to do. All right, we'll take a small break on Outdoor Works Live from the Trois Brassards, McGill, St. Catharines, and McGill. We'd like to thank Benjamin and Ariane from Marketing for their hospitality. We'll be right back with a little more MLS talk. You're listening to Outdoor Woodworks. If you want to reach Kevin Larame, you can do it by email, Woodworks at hotmail.com. On Twitter at Off the Woodworks, or you can go like our page on Facebook, facebook.com slash Off the Woodworks. You can get this show everywhere you get your podcast iTunes, Stitcher, Feedburner, everywhere you like. You can get this podcast. Now back to the show. And we're back live from the Trois Brasseurs McGill with uh, Raphael Aruxir, Mini Sabrago, Sam Bapit, and Jonathan Tannenwald. First of all, cheers to you all. Uh, we'll talk about more about MLS right now. All right, there's a theory that I had for the last couple of weeks. I've been, I came up with it. What do you think about it, first of all, Jonathan? You think Major League Soccer changed from an old retirement DP league to a maybe a more of a young men's league in the last six, seven months? Absolutely. And there's a couple of reasons for that. The biggest one is that the owners in Major League Soccer wanted to make a statement that they don't want to be a retirement league anymore and they shifted their emphasis to signing young players from Central America, from South America. That's why the young designated player rule exists now, where if you want to go and sign a guy from Brazil or Argentina or Honduras or wherever and not pay him $600,000, but pay him $200,000 and put the transfer fee on the table, they can make it happen. You look at a guy like Diego Valeri, who's a classic example. Um, the Morales in Vancouver. Pedro Morales in Vancouver. Christian Maidana in Philadelphia. Jerry Bankston in New England, even though he hasn't turned out to be as good as people he was hope. But MLS wants to be the league of choice for these players now. And they're right about that. That's how the league is going to grow in the long term, is by putting its emphasis on young players and if they go on and sell them in Europe down the years and make some money, fine. But they're exciting players, aren't they? They're the kinds of players that we want to see in the league that are going to generate attention. And in most of these markets, look, 
Not every team in Major League Soccer can go out and sign a Defoe or a DeVaio or an Henri or a Keane. But I'll speak from experience in Philadelphia, certainly, and I know it's the case elsewhere. If you win and you're a good young player and you get some buzz about you, you will become a star by winning in Major League Soccer with your fan base and broader. And I want to see Major League Soccer do more of that. I know a lot of people else do, do too. Samba, you had a question that you asked uh, off-air to uh, our friend Jonathan. And just say it on air because it was worth it. Was well, worth I was it. wondering what influence did uh, Klinsman add with uh, the, the coming back of the U.S. players that were not getting any minutes in Europe so close to the World Cup coming this summer? The answer to that question is zero. Maybe negative influence. He wants all. He, he disdains Major League Soccer generally. He says nice things about it publicly. I'm sure he. He doesn't hate it. it. Serves a purpose for him. He's obviously called up a lot of guys from Major League Soccer who are going to form the backbone of this World Cup team. But he barely made them play. He wants all of his guys in Europe because he believes that Europe is inherently superior. He'd rather have Josie Altidore on the bench at Sunderland doing nothing having his career get destroyed by Gus Poyet, having no confidence, then playing in Major League Soccer and scoring. And if you think about it, we talk about the young Central American and South American players who are helping to improve the quality of the league. You can't tell me that Major League Soccer is also not improved, made a better league overall by Maurice Adu and Michael Bradley and Clint Dempsey playing here. Just Dempsey, this last couple of weeks been on fire. And Bradley's been fantastic for Toronto FC. I try to tell my friends who are up there when he signed that. Jermaine Defoe's great. He's going to score you a lot of goals. They're going to the playoffs this year because of Michael Bradley. He's a winner. He's the smartest. He's the best combination of intelligence and skill, I think, in all of North in all of CONCACAF. There's guys in Mexico who are more skilled, and they're head cases. Carlos Velo, you know, guys like that. Joe Dos Santos, great players total ego head cases. Michael Bradley is the smartest, most skilled player combination in Major League Soccer and in CONCACAF. Absolutely, and I made a prediction at the beginning of the season that people judge me like, a defensive player will never win MVP. I call for Michael Bradley to win the MVP of Major League Soccer this he, season. He and could so well. Far, he's one of, the, one of the leaders. He could well. He's absolutely a leader, and you're going to see him. Look, I don't know whether the U.S. is going to get out of the group stage of the World Cup. It's the most difficult group you could possibly come up with. But if they do, I guarantee you Michael Bradley's going to have a big influence. Right, so you brought up Toronto. So let's we'll talk a little Toronto. Do you think the moves that Toronto make uh, were the right move for them? Or do you think they'll still need uh, maybe a, good, a decent manager this season? I give Ryan Nelson a lot more credit than a lot of other people do. Um, I know they don't think highly of him because he's young and he doesn't have a lot of experience and he doesn't have all of his badges and he doesn't have this and he doesn't have that. I watched him play for many years at DC United. I've gotten to know him a little bit in the years that I've been covering the league. I know he's got the respect of all those players and they don't look down on him. And I think he's got the tactical smarts Look, I'm rooting for him to succeed. There's no question about that. I'll admit it. But I really think he can do it. And I think that he gets a lot less credit because of his name and because he played too recently. From people who want a big-name manager to come in from somewhere else. And look, 
I understand why there's also some people who want a Canadian managing Toronto FC. I get that. Sure, that's fine. I understand all the debate behind that. But don't tell me that some big-name international manager is going to come to Toronto and win. They tried that once already, and it failed. And most other clubs in Major League Soccer who bring somebody in who knows nothing about how to win in the league, they fail. I think Ryan Nelson's got a good chance to succeed. Are you talking about Rude Gullet? <laughs> He's one. Hans Bakke is another. Aaron Vinter. The exception, who almost, almost wasn't the exception, was Marco Schalibon. And you know what? You brought up Marco Schalibon. Maybe in a good... How do you think Schalibon would have made this? Do you see a big difference in Montreal's play? Or basically it's just hearsay? What do you think? Is Montreal that bad right now? As I said, I think it comes all back to the center of defense. And I also, I also say this in terms of some of the other guys in there. I don't know how to put this politely, so I might have to put it impolitely, and I'm sorry. Andres Romero isn't any good. <laughs> Daniele Paponi wasn't any good. No, Paponi, oh wow. And why were they here? They spoke Italian. Well, and I've, I've had this debate for years with people in Montreal. I know that the fans want to see an Italian player or a Portuguese player or a Brazilian player or a Quebecois or whatever. I also know, especially being in Major League Soccer now instead of being in the second division, what everybody wants, no matter what national they are, they want a winner. They want a winner. There are a pretty proven way, for better or worse, and look, Major League Soccer has a lot of different technical styles, and that's a good thing. But there's a proven way to win in Major League Soccer by outsmarting everybody else. Not by outspending, not by outmuscling, by outsmarting everybody else. I believe that the Montreal Impact can do that in the long term. They're not doing it right now. And you know what, Jonathan, I think you're right. And I'm gonna send a message to all my listeners and to people that are listening to us right now. I've talked to it on Two Solitudes and on the show earlier today. And I think it's time that I say it again. Uh, the last couple of weeks, Patrice Bernier has been benched. And a couple other players, like the Brodsky and other people, have been benched. And people have been out crying and saying that, oh, it's a, it's a tragedy, it's a controversy, our captain's not playing. Well, our captain did not deserve to play. If you look at the actual stats and the actual play, the fitness of our captain was not there. His play was getting better, but it wasn't at the level that it was supposed to be. And players like Warner were fit and were informed. So, and even players like Brovsky, who is a darling to the Montreal fans, and he's a great humanitarian, one of the nicest human beings I've ever met. That doesn't change the fact that he's not having a great beginning of the season, and he needs to be benched as well. Sorry, Nick Sabetti, I don't agree with you today. Brovsky, I don't think he should start. We have players like he, like Miller, who's having a great beginning of the season, probably going to be a candidate for Rick of the Year, and Keith Pierce, which is former U.S. men's national team player, who can actually start for your team, those two players should start, and I think you were right earlier. Can I give Matt Jordan a little bit more credit than he sometimes gets here? Yeah. He got Blake Smith and Eric Miller in successive years. That's pretty good as Super Drafts go. And he's a guy who doesn't get the spotlight very much. And I know they're sort of telling him, go out and scout the college players. You take care of that, and we'll do what you tell us to do. Let's give him some credit for some of the guys that he's brought in. Eric Miller is the steal of the draft, in my opinion. 
He's the best player I've ever seen coming out of the Super Draft. The way he affected the team right away, it's mind-boggling for a like, 20-year-old, 21-year-old. And you, you need three kinds of players to win in Major League Soccer. You need stars. In the long run, you need a star. You need a divide. You need young players. We met. And Lefebvre. And in Philadelphia, a guy like Amobi Akugo or Shannon Williams. And you need blue guys. Just like the Canadians eat Alex Galchenik and David Dernay. And, and Rene Bork, who's having a great playoffs. You need a Justin Mapp. And you need a Callum Mallis. It's a long season. It's a hard season. It's a lot of travel you got to play on. Saturdays and Wednesdays. And all these different things. And you need guys who can, even if they're not going to bring it at the absolute top level, who can give you something every time. You need a core of those players. And they're not always going to be Italian or French. I, or, I hate to say it. But those are the guys. When I talk about you want to back a winner in this town, fans want a winner, those are the guys. Everybody's going to play a role. And those guys include Rafael, uh, I saw you gesturing when I was talking about Patrice Bernier. I think you agree with me. Why do you think the fans have so much of pink glasses? Why can't people see games objectively? I know the answer to this question. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, but the guy, the guy is our captain. The guy is from here. The guy is a local guy. We Stop. Exactly. There's one reason. It's not that he's your captain. It's the other reason you gave. A local guy. Because he's from here. Yeah. And I know that there's people, including some good friends of ours, who believe that he should have been the captain all along. You do not give the captain's armband because of where somebody's from. You give him because he shows it on the field. But, but at the same time, the way he was playing the last two years was much better than now. Like I think I was one of the like one of the people that was believing that he was deserving the captain armband, but not only because he was local, because he was one of the best guys in the team at the beginning. This year, like you said, he's not at that level. He's not at the same level. He needs to he needs to work. He needs to come back at that level to deserve his playing time. I agree with you, Raph, that he earned the armband. I'm not saying I wouldn't have given it to him. I think he earned it on the field. But I know there's some people who wanted to give it to him because he's from Quebec. And that's what I didn't like. And you think about him, look, he's getting old. I hate to say, I, I, he's a classy guy. I've interviewed him many times. I think he's terrific. He probably could be the coach of the Impact Summit. But he be, he's a very nice person. Never mind the soccer player, which I'm talking about. Yeah. He's a nice person. And that, the fact that he's struggling this year doesn't change the fact that he's a nice person. But on the field, not what you used to. When you get old in soccer, and we went through this in the United States with Carlos Bocanegra recently. When you get old in soccer, you don't get old gradually. It goes all, all at once. It's true. Happened to Manchester United this year. Part of the reason why they're so bad, they should have cleared out Rio Ferdinand and Nemanja Vidic and a bunch of other players last summer when David Moyes came in. They didn't do it because they were changing all their front office and he wanted to, you know, not upset the apple cart. Oh, this sacked one. But, as I said, there's examples in, in soccer all the time, especially defenders. When you get old, it all goes at once. It doesn't go gradually. And that brings us to a young man's league. What do you think is the blueprint going forward for a team in Major League Soccer to have a decent team? We really should go all out to basically under 25, that's all we signed? But what do you think? Close to it. I would. And time will develop coaches in the United States and Canada. I promise. 
I think. I think Canada will develop coaches. No, we're good for coaches. It's players we're not good at. Well, <laughs> from what I've been told, and I'm not from here, I've been told that not everybody, not every provincial association develops coaches quite the same way. That's very true. I've heard a rumor about that. Yeah, that's a very good rumor. <laughs> um, but, no, I think that what the CSA is doing right now will in the long term bear fruit. And we're seeing a lot of guys who have played in Major League Soccer, Jason Price, Mike Petke, Ryan Nelson, Jeff Kassar, Ben Olsen, who become good coaches in Major League Soccer. And that's yeah. good for the league. Frank Yala, Frank Lopez. Frank Lopez. That is good for the league. And I think if the league, if the league becomes a young player's league, look, I don't know if it's ever going to be as good as England or Germany or, or Spain. I want it to be as good as Mexico, and I want it to be as good as Holland, and I want and Argentina, and Argentina and the Netherlands. Certainly, Mexico has enormous amounts of television money. They're gonna they can keep old guys. We know that, and maybe the U.S. will get there someday. Argentina and the Netherlands, two of the best leagues in the world. They're young players' leagues, and I think Major League Soccer should be a young players' league. True, and you're right. The Eredivisie and the Eredivisie League have no money at all. So. It is kind of a, a level to shoot for for Major League Soccer. And that brings me to the $2,022 question. you think Major League Soccer will be a top five league before 2022? No. Garber <laughs> said top ten, to be fair. Top ten, all right. Now, that's not so hard to do. Well, in my opinion, they're already in the top ten leagues of the world, if you look at it. Ma okay. England, France, Germany, Spain. Italy. Portugal. Portugal. Netherlands. Italy. And we're somewhere after that. Argentina, Brazil, Mexico. That's like 10. Major League Soccer may be with Japan. But I might even put I might even put MLS above the J League right yeah. now. Major League Soccer is probably 11. And when I talk about them competing with the Mexican League, it's not just in the CONCACAF Championship. It's for exposure. It's for television money, which is so crucial. You know, we talked off air, I think, about the TV deal and the importance of MLS bringing in a big TV deal. And the TV networks in the United States know it. They know that they're basically the bankers of Major League Soccer. And if the league's going to improve, and they're going to go out, and they're going to get, instead of a three, imagine the difference in Major League Soccer, instead of the cap, was $3 million a year with three designated players, $6 million a year with three designated players. How much better automatically would Major League Soccer be right off the bat? Well, first of all, we, have, we wouldn't have such a gap between our best players in the league and our bench players. Right. There would be a less of a gap, so a more consistent type of play. And you, you, wouldn't, wouldn't, and you wouldn't have guys in New York and San Francisco and Vancouver living on $35,000 a year, which is terrible, in my opinion. We need uh, yeah, in New York, even in Montreal, they're... So, right. Yeah, it's poverty level. It's so, everybody says, oh, get rid of the cap. I don't think that's really the answer. If you look at Europe, ask a Leeds United or a Rangers fan or a Rayo uh, Real Oviedo. Yeah, which, by the way, Real Oviedo, one of the actioneers is with us right now. Two of now. us. Two of you. Yeah. Uh, so two you, actioneers you, you, you don't want teams going bust. I say, we need good. It's good to have a salary cap. Maybe in the long run, we don't need to have single entity anymore. If there's a if there's a good, firm, hard salary cap plus the three designated players, 
but make the salary cap $6 million, but $10 million. And then let's see Major League Soccer really take off. And if it gets to that point, because everybody wants to play here. Everybody wants to play in the United States and live in Canada and live in North America. The stadiums are terrific. The fans, as we've, as we've seen, oh, it's not 80,000 a game, but it's real good. You're absolutely right. That brings a point to my mind right away that the Alessandro Nessas of this world, the Devaio of this world, are giving a great reputation to the league by saying in Europe, in the Italian newspapers, in the European newspapers, how the culture, the soccer is pretty good. You get to see a different type of world as well. And you're all right. Those players want to come to MLS. We just need to convince them a little. You know who else is giving a really good reputation in Major League Soccer by being here? I guarantee you that when guys like Kyle Beckerman and Nick Romando Go to U.S. national team camp. Everybody says, oh, the big stars don't want to play in Salt Lake City. They don't have a lot of money. It's not Los Angeles. It's not New York. I guarantee you that they're going out there talking about how wonderful it is to live in Salt Lake City, to have the mountains down the road, to have a fan base like Royal Salt Lake has, to have the kind of facilities that they do. Same with Portland. Same with the earthquakes, even though you know, they're finally going to get their new stadium next year. You know who I bet is also a good, would be a really good ambassador for Major League Soccer. And you can tell I've got a really sheepish grin on my face because you know where I'm going with this. Will Johnson would be a really good ambassador for Major League Soccer. There's a, there's a lot of, look, there's a lot of people in the United States who want to see the Canadian national team succeed for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of people in Canada that want to see that. <laughs> it's good for CONCACAF. It makes CONCACAF stronger when a, a nation as resource-rich and wealthy and powerful as Canada has a good national team. I guarantee you also it'll help the U.S. Soccer Federation in the boardroom with CONCACAF and with FIFA if Canada is stronger in the men's game like it is in the women's game. So tell me, I got up on my iPad here, a list of Canadian players who are playing abroad. And if I'm Will Johnson, or I'm Dwayne De Rosario, I know he's not so much with the national team anymore. Yeah, but yeah, he's not so much in MLS anymore. He's basically a bench. Will, Will Johnson, Russell Timer, Issa Nakajima Ferran, who might be the classic example of this, and hopefully is the first of many. When they go and talk to guys like David Edgar, or Nick Ledgerwood, or Lucas Cavallini, I would hope that they're saying to them, stop sitting on the bench of a second division team in Europe, come to Major League Soccer and play and be a star. And I know there's rules about them not being able to be domestic players on the US teams. So if I'm the Canadian Soccer Federation, and I'm the players, and I'm their agents, I am going to the Canadian clubs, and I'm saying the only thing that is stopping guys like Ledgerwood and Cavallini and Samuel Piet, who I know is a big deal here, only thing that is stopping them from playing in Canada is in the club's own minds. And that's what's got to change. I'm not saying they're obligated, because they're not. But these are good players. And I think I'd rather see Vancouver put the money into a David Edgar than a Barry Robson. And I'd rather see Montreal put the money into Samuel Piet than Andres from there. And I'd rather see Canada, uh, sorry, Toronto, 
Final look, Toronto's getting smart about this final. But you think about all the guys they've signed over the years. Go out and get a Ledgerwood or a Cavallini. They can do it. They don't have to worry about the allocation order or whatever else. They can go out and do it tomorrow, and it's in the club's own minds, and it's not happening. You're absolutely right. On that, we'll take a small break, and when we come back, we'll talk more with Jonathan Tanner-Wall, Cafe Lavexi, and Lucien Barranco, and Sammy Pete about Canada's team and U.S. men's national team as well. Bruised and battered, I couldn't tell what I felt I was unrecognizable to myself I saw my reflection in a window and didn't know my own face Oh brother, are you gonna leave me wasting away on the streets of Philadelphia? From Les Trois Brasseurs McGill, again, thanks for the hospitality. I want to talk to you, Jonathan, a little bit about the U.S. men's national team and Canada's men's national team. First of all, what do you think about the U.S. men's national team going into this summer? Will they have a nice World Cup? Will it be fun to watch U.S. men's national team? I'm going to take those questions in reverse order. Will it be fun to watch the U.S. national team? Absolutely. If you're playing Ghana and Portugal and Germany, absolutely it's going to be fun. Unless they get blown out, and it's not going to be fun. But it's going to be fun. Will it be a nice summer? I don't know. I think everybody knows the way that the U.S. makes it out of the group stage. They beat Ghana. Germany beats Portugal. Portugal self-destructs, which they're capable of doing. They've done it many times before. The U.S. gets one on them. And then they've got four or six points. They hold on for dear life against Germany and they hope the numbers work out and they qualify. That's the only way. Even the president of the U.S. Soccer Federation has said, let us get out of the world, the group stage first, then we can dream. And everybody said, oh, we're supposed to be gung-ho American, optimistic. You're the president of the American Federation. You should be saying we're going to... No. <laughs> Perfectly fine to be realistic and to understand what we're getting into be really hard. Harder than I think any of us imagine. And we're all hoping that they report to camp in two and a half, three weeks, May 14th. We're all, everybody's hoping there's one thing and nobody gets hurt. <laughs> Who's going to be the, the extra striker? It'll be Wando, Jack Mack, Aaron Johansson. Well, I mean, you're going to have Altidore is going to be the number one. I know he struggled at Sunderland. As soon as he gets into that, gets out of there, gets into that national team camp, he'll be fine. I really believe that. Although U.S. players love him, they're going to do their best to give him what he wants and make sure that he's successful. And then they're going to tell him to get the hell out of Sunderland, which is what he used. should never have gone there. Look, it's great to play in the Premier League. That's the worst club in the Premier League. The managers have all been terrible. They play a bad system. So on and so forth. Aaron Johansson's going to be the second strike. Who literally took Altero's part with easy as well. He's, yeah, literally. he's really good. Um, they're going to play a 4-2-3-1. Really? That, that's surprising. That's, well, Klinsman's been training them in a 4-2-3-1 for a while now. Because when I think of Klinsman, I always think about a 4-4-2. No, 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 no. He's been a 4-2-3-1 guy from the day he took over the team. Tim Howard. 
Omar Gonzalez and Matt Beasler in the middle. The big question marks are the wingbacks. I think a lot of people want to see Fabian Johnson play left back instead of left midfield because then it opens up the left midfield spot for Landon Donovan or Graham Zussi. Or mixed just beginning to get Donovan and Zussi on the field together. I'd play Jeff Cameron at right back. I think he's the best option of what are not very many options, unfortunately. I'd play Fabian Johnson on the left back. I don't know if Klinsman's going to do it. He might put Johnson at left midfield and Demarcus Beasley at left back. Michael Bradley and Jermaine Jones next to each other as the two guys behind. And hopefully they figure it out, the timing of who goes forward and who doesn't and all that. They, they gotta get, they're going to have a month together to get that right. That's been one of the big questions. Clint Dempsey behind the lone striker. And hopefully, as I said, Landon Donovan on one side and Graham Susi on the right. Mix Distro will come off the bench. Alejandro Bedoya will come off the bench. Kyle Beckerman will come off the bench. Wondolowski might come off the bench. Eddie Johnson will come off the bench. Maybe Terrence Boyd. But there's three big questions. The center backs aren't really a question. They've got issues, but everybody knows they're going to play. Three big questions. The wing backs can Michael Bradley and Jermaine Jones figure out the timing and the chemistry and all that. And is Jurgen Klinsen going to start Landon Donovan or is he going to bring him off the bench? A lot of people think he's going to bring him off the bench. And there's a lot of people in the United States who are terrified of that. What would you do? Because Landon Donovan's not been that hot. He starts. He starts? Period. Is that for the better of the team or for the better of the team? For the better of the team. Absolutely for the better of the team. Landon Donovan... I know he's not as fast as he used to be, but he's still got it all mentally. I know he doesn't train as rigorously as Jurgen Klinsmann wants him to. I get that. It's going to be his last World Cup. He's probably going to retire from the national team after the World Cup. When it gets down to it, and it's 1-1 in the 89th minute, you give the ball to Landon Donovan and to Michael Bradley, and there's no two players on that team. Period. Not even Clint Dempsey. There's no two players on that team who you'd rather have the ball than Bradley and Donovan. And everybody says there's no clutch in soccer or whatever. They've got it. Whatever that it is, they've got it. They're the big players for the big moments. And in the World Cup, they have to be on the field. In the big moments. Now it's prediction time for the World Cup. In your opinion... Will the U.S. make it out of their group? Will they beat either Ghana, I knew you were do that. or will they side Germany? No. Or maybe no. an upset Klinsman beats his former team. The only, way they, only way they beat Germany is if Germany's already in the group's the round of 16, and they're playing for matchup in the okay. round of 16. Okay. Germany's really good. Oh, yeah. Really, really, <laughs> really good. Yeah, she's agreeing with us, too. The U.S. is not going to make it out of it. If I had to predict, no. My heart says it's possible. My head says no. Because the opponents are just too good. And it, it's, it's a shame. I think we all knew that as soon as Ghana and Germany got drawn in the same pot, the U.S. was going to land there. 
just because of karma, and it's 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 a it's too bad. It would be like the third straight World Cup if Ghana would put the U.S. Out. Well, at least Ghana's not going to actually put the U.S. out this time because they're going to play first. But I don't. I, I just think it's too big a mountain. So we talked about the U.S. There's a rumor and a very very uh, deeply founded rumor that in 2026. Canada will try to host the World Cup, which is probably the only way we'll ever make it to the World Cup. You think it's possible that Canada receives a World Cup in 2026? No. Let me add one thing, by the way, to the last question. Will the U.S. win the World Cup? Will they advance in the group stage? Next year? Absolutely they advance in the group stage, and they lift the trophy at BC Place. I don't know who they're going to beat in the final, but they're winning the World Cup next year. The women's. All right. Uh, I think that's going to happen, and I'm looking forward to being there. It's going to be one of three things. You'll either get the French in the finals, you'll get the Japanese ladies in the final, or, or you get Canada. If there's a reverse of the situation and players like Wilkinson and St. Clair and the young girls were coming, if you want to know about the young girls, listen to Monday's podcast, Two Solitudes and Five Rings. We will be live from the 100 days to the FIFA U20 World Cup and have all the interviews you want. But there's one thing, maybe Canada will be there. I think it's possible. I'd love to, I'm planning next year. I'm taking a month off of work or whatever it's going to be. I'm going to go to as many U.S. games as I can. I think it's going to be a real treat. I'm not coming up for the Union Impact to here next year. Sorry, guys. I'm coming when the U.S. That's all right. Plays uh, next in the year, summer. off to the works, two solitudes and five rings will be live from all the people who will come. That'd be great if you do it. It's um, in the plans. It's in the plans. You talk about 2026. No. They're not going to host here. Um, it's great that they want to. I think they could do it someday. I talked to one person from the CSA this week, and I have to tell you, there is a huge uh, willingness and uh, a great capacity from Canada. It's the only FIFA event they haven't hosted. The only one left is the World Cup. So we'll see in 2026. Uh, but I, I have to agree with you in a certain way. It's going to be hard. Just because of sport related. It might not be there sporting wise, infrastructure wise, we're getting closer. The, the infrastructure in every way except the stadiums is there. But who's going to pay for the new Olympic Stadium? And who's going to pay for a stadium in Toronto? And I mean, who's going to pay for a stadium in Toronto? The Lively people will pay in Toronto. <laughs> but here and all the other cities where they need big enough stadiums, who's going to pay for it? Next year, with the 2015 Pan American Games in Toronto, there's already a couple of cities in Toronto that are big enough to host those World Cup games. And with our room, there need to be a big renovation in the Big O. But it has a place in my heart. Oh, this probably has the a Big place. O. Look, I like the Big O too. If you guys host the 2026 World Cup, the Big O gets knocked down and they build a new stadium on that site. But who's right. going to pay for it? Is the Quebec provincial government going to pay for it? I don't think so. Is the Canadian national government really going to pay for it? I don't think so. I have to agree with you, but in a way, we can't be worse than Brazil. Have you looked at Brazil right now? In, there's like, we cannot be worse. Oh, no, 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 no. The, the money's, the the money's there. We have the, to be able to the, build the, the money is there if they want to spend it that way. But I don't, I don't, I just don't. Brazil didn't have the money, but they had the willingness to spend it. Canada has the money. Nobody questions that. But they've got other things they want to spend it on. And I would argue that 
one of the things they want to spend it on, and I hope one of the things they want to spend it on, I'm pretty sure one of the things they want to spend it on, is building two new bridges in Montreal. Yeah, and doing things like that, yeah. you know? If we can't say nothing against your argument, you got a very fair and secure and very safety-related type of point, and I agree with you, but... If they, if they can't get the bridges built for how much money, then it's... Look, it, if... It speaks well of the Canadian culture. They want to host the World Cup, it's great. I get that. It would be wonderful if they do. But it does speak well of you guys that you want to spend your money on other things. Especially when there's other things that need being spent on. And then, when you get to that point, and I haven't brought this up yet, I intentionally tried to base the argument on the Canadian culture and what they need to do. And not the reason that everybody else gets for why Canada is not going to host the 2026 World Cup. Which is, if you got to build all these stadiums, the hotel infrastructure is there, the transportation infrastructure is there, the stadiums are not. Right down the road from here, the stadiums are already built. They're sitting there, they could do it tomorrow. They were talking about a month, they need a month. They could do it tomorrow. You need a month to book the airfares because it's hard to book airfares on a day's notice. But they, I'm not sure that the 2014 World Cup won't be held in the United States yet. 14 will be. 2022 is the big one. There's still a chance Brazil will take the World Cup out of that. No, they're not at this point. <laughs> They've inve- the FIFA has too much invested in the importance of bringing the World Cup to Brazil to take it out of there. Now... Will it make him think twice if the VIPs don't have their perfect seats and their charter planes and all of their shrimp in order? Yes, it will. Guitar, the VIPs will be fine. <laughs> Nobody else will be, but the VIPs will be fine. But I still think, deep down, the 2022 World Cup will be in the United States. When all is said and done. If, if they can bring the truth to light, and if they can, if it's so damaging that they finally have to swallow their pride and admit what really happened, and everybody in the U.S. is, you know, Sunil Gulati, the chair of the U.S. Federation, is on the FIFA executive committee now. Everybody wants him to have a political campaign and pound the table and make noise and give speeches. He's just sitting there, waiting, quietly the truth to come out and as soon as it does and they say oh we got to move the world cup he's going to raise his hand and say hi there we're right here for you we've been waiting all along come right on over we'll have you in a couple minutes we'll be all ready for you and it'll and if that happens 2026 is not going to Canada they're not going to have a North America now look if, if I was in charge of FIFA If I was in charge, well, if I was in charge of FIFA, I would be honest enough to admit that the number of countries that can actually host a World Cup is fairly small, and I would not go around asking national governments to spend hundreds of billions of dollars on stadiums when they should be spending on other things. 
Canada is a country that can host a world on their list of countries that can host. Yes, Canada is one of them. So is Mexico. There's a handful of countries in Europe, Japan, South Korea, maybe South Africa. But really, the number of countries that can host a World Cup is not that big. And if I would, and the same with the Olympics. The number of places that can really host, really, host the Olympics. If you believe in it, and you don't want to ask these national and local governments to spend billions of dollars that they should be putting to other things, then the U.S. and Canada would make perfect sense to have back-to-back World Cups. They make a ton of money. The infrastructure would be no problem other than Canada having to build the stadiums, which they they do in the end. Oh, you're absolutely right. And speaking of the Olympics, and if you like the Olympic sports and the amateur sports, go listen to the Five Rings Olympic podcast. You take calls on that show? We I tried to call into your show once. I didn't get through. We'll have you on really soon. <laughs> we tried to have you on, if you remember. I know. Five Rings. But I know. But it was so busy at the Wells Fargo Center. It was even louder than it is right here. <laughs> yeah. All right. Last question before we wrap this live off the other Miguel and St. Catharines. Jonathan, what's going to happen Saturday at the Saputa? Montreal or Philly? 2 1 Montreal. 2 1 Montreal. So we would get an actual three points in Montreal. Who do you think scores? Uh, Divayo twice. Oh, wow. And Wenger? No, Vasson or Gareth for Philadelphia. No, Gareth for Philadelphia. All right, so. Bring that to the bank and don't forget to change your substitution for MLS Fantasy, trying to catch me in my Optimus Works League. And just a second, we'd like to thank Raphael Alexei if you want to give a little hello to our listeners. Hi, everyone. Thanks, Raphael, for being here tonight. Mini Sebrango, thanks for being here. It's, it's nice to have Raf back on the radio again after a while. Absolutely. Uh, you're absolutely right. Mini Sebrango, let's say hi to our listeners. Hi. Thanks for being here tonight, Mini Sebrango, and Simon Pete. One of our first listeners ever on every single podcast I did and every single podcast that exists. Sam and Pete, oh, hi for our listeners. Hi, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone, get ready for tomorrow. Opening at the Sabuto, 4 p.m. I'll be there around 2. You want to come meet me, I'll be there. So have a great night. Thanks for Jonathan Tannerwald, Raphael Laroxir, Sam and Pete, Nisa Brango. Thanks to Benjamin and Ariane from Les Trois Brassards. It's a pleasure. I'm Kevin A. And until next week. Have a great soccer.